thank you for joining us. I'm Charlotte Wood, and I'm podcasting from the Bondec Montessori in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Today, we're talking about comparisons. And right off the bat, that word comparisons might spark a thought, might spark a memory, or an emotion. Comparisons are good, comparisons are bad, comparison is the thief of joy, comparison is necessary, and all of that is true. There are times when comparison is appropriate, and there are times when it might be giving us an unintended bias, and we might not even be cognitive of this, so we are going to unpack that a little bit today. We're specifically going to be talking about comparisons with children and how they might impact our views, our judgments, even unintentionally when we as parents or as educators are observing a child, interacting with a child, talking to a child. Comparisons are natural. We go to the grocery store, we don't just blindly choose an apple. We compare things. We compare prices. We compare how fruit smells. We compare how it feels. Is this one bruised and is this one not? We want to find what's going to meet our needs the best. And this is true if we're looking for a book to read on a certain topic. We might read reviews and we might read the desk jacket and see is this book, is this product most appropriate for my needs as they stand today? Perhaps you're looking for a book on parenting. A book on parenting two-year-olds might not be applicable if you're looking for a book on parenting teenagers. These are comparisons that we make, but we might not think about it overtly because a lot of this logic, a lot of this problem solving, which comparison makes possible, has become so much a part of our everyday life, so much thought of part of our thought process that it's now unintentional. It's now uh, almost subliminal. We don't need to say overtly, no, I don't want a book about adoption in adopting a new pet or adopting a different lifestyle. I want a book about adopting a child, the foster system, and what it's like to start a family. That might seem like a clear-cut example. Well, of course, a different adopting a lifestyle, adopting a pet is different from adopting a child. But we've made comparisons through thought processes, through process of elimination, and these have led us to find the most appropriate resource for us at this time based on our needs, and that's a comparison. Without comparison, without a metric, it's hard to know how we're doing. Sometimes we only know something's wrong in comparison to how it were, how it was before. So for example, sometimes when a child is feeling poorly, they might not have a fever, they might not be throwing up, they might not have a runny nose, but we know, hmm, she isn't her usual self. Something is different. That's an appropriate comparison when it comes to children. So we can't make a blanket statement of 
never compare when it comes to children because there are very clear times when comparison is appropriate, it's good data, and it helps us to serve children better. When a child's not feeling well, when a child is more tired than usual, that's a comparison. Might be an indication the child's not feeling poorly. It also might be an indication that a child's growing or learning a lot at school or working really hard. But without that first initial observation that comes in the form of a comparison, it comes in the form of a judgment. This child is sleeping more than usual. This child is more excited than usual. Those are judgments, but not good or bad. They're simply an observation and a measure of what knowledge I already have versus the knowledge that I have today. Where it comes into planning for the future is what does that mean? Perhaps if I notice a child is sleeping more than usual, perhaps I might need to prepare to send them with more food during the day because My previous knowledge of this child is that when they're sleeping more, they might be growing, they might be learning something really big, they might be coming down with something, and all of those might mean stronger nutrition. Comparing what you know about this child, this child's more excited than they have been for the past couple hours, and sometimes when this child is more excited, it means that they're on the verge of needing a nap. They're overexcited because they're trying to keep themselves awake. That's noticing and comparing appropriately. Sometimes we use comparisons in a more global sense. And this you might see uh, with percentiles when your child goes to a pediatrician and they fall in the 45th percentile for weight and the 55th percentile for height. These are just metrics. What's the range of what we might expect for a two-year-old? And where does my child fall during that spectrum? That's a really valuable tool to have because when you go back in six months or in a year when those numbers change or when they don't change, it's an observation that you and your child's medical professionals can make about Yeah, obviously they're growing, things are healthy. Oh, we might need to supplement the nutrition in these ways. Oh, they might be a picky eater, but clearly they're getting enough calories during the day and everything is progressing well. It can either be an indication of action required on our part, more knowledge that leads to action, and it can also sometimes be a sign that no action is required, that worry was unnecessary. Everything actually is just fine. Where it can kind of be a little difficult is when we start to engage in comparison in ways that might not serve the child. Comparing this child to an older sibling. Comparing your child to other two-year-olds you know. Comparing the life we're living every day, the life filled with laundry and dirty dishes and highs and lows to a social media feed that's filled with the picture-perfect moment, perhaps even a little bit staged. This is where we get that piece of comparison is the thief of joy. In these situations, comparison keeps us out of 
this moment. Comparison keeps us out of recognizing this child, not for who they could be or what they should be doing or all the ways we as adults in their lives are falling short, not giving them everything they need, not giving everything we could. Away from that mindfulness, we hear a lot about the importance of mindfulness and being present to the moment. And we start putting shoulds on ourselves, on our partner, on our children. And this is where it takes away from the moment and worry can set in. My child still doesn't have her teeth. My child still isn't sitting up. My child still doesn't understand math. My child still is having difficulty with making that S sound. My child still doesn't know how to tie their shoes. My child still only has one best friend. Whatever it might be, Comparing this moment to other situations can create more challenges than is beneficial for you and for your child. Any one of those situations is just fine. We forget that in so many situations, there is a range of normal behavior. There is a range at which children start rolling over or sitting up on their own. There is a range of ages when we might hear those first words. One might be early, these are emotional words, early or late, but there's a range. And we feel a lot of pressure, a lot of responsibility to help a child get there. But sometimes that pressure robs us of the moment that is here now. When we're worried about when is my child going to start walking, we're missing out on the moment when they start grasping at things and all the developmental milestones that that impacts. We're missing out on the fact that they're so engaged in our language. And anytime one of their favorite people starts speaking, everything else disappears and their eyes and their ears are intensely focused on that language. We miss out on when a child only has one friend. We're missing out on how much compassion these two children share with one another and how deeply they care for one another. And wouldn't we be happy with one true friendship as deep as these two children share? Or we're missing out on the fact that although this child is still struggling with a certain sound or sounds coming together, they're only six. They're still little. It will come. And that they're not bothered by it. They can hear the difference between those sounds. And we're missing out on the moment as it stands now. There is so much of the time a range in which any of those qualities that we worry about in terms of enough or too much, early or late. There's a range, there's a bell curve where most children learn how to read between these ages. Many children 
don't. Many children fall on the outskirts of that bell curve or earlier or even later than we might measure and still are successful, are happy, are contented, have rich and fulfilling lives. This is where we might throw in a Montessori phrase, specifically, follow the child. The child will show you what they need. The child will show you what is appropriate for this moment, especially with younger children. But even as a child ages, they will show us exactly what they need, exactly what they're ready for. Sometimes that is those moments of stillness where if somebody is talking, the toddler's whole body is engaged on watching those mouth movements, mimicking any gestures, intonating vowel sounds, and trying to replicate consonants. The child is showing what she's ready for, what her development is interested in. And sometimes a child will show us exactly what they need in another way of if there are tears every night before bed, maybe they're showing us that this bedtime is a bit too late these days. If they're contented with that one friendship, showing us that pushing to be in more social situations is more than they need. It's really more for our own benefit to have a wider social circle. A child preferring quiet time or a child preferring to run around outside is showing us exactly what they need. And when we compare them to another child, a hypothetical child who might not even exist, a child who we think should behave, any one of these qualities and so many more, we're taking away from the moment that is the child showing us who they are today, what they need today, and how we can support them today. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram at Bondec, and email us with comments, questions, and suggestions at hello at bondec.org. Until next time.